This very special 50th edition of What's Who's Him Radio is brought to you by the Sexual Assault Survivors Restorative Justice Project. The Sexual Assault Survivors Restorative Justice Project, or the SASRJP, has a vision for the future where we address rape culture, misogyny, and toxic masculinity prior to and in the moment, not only in collective moments of outrage. Assault is cyclical. Many people identified as assaulters have witnessed assault or violence or were assaulted themselves. Attempting to disrupt this reproduction of violence takes education, support, and a holistic view of trauma. Most services are geared toward assisting survivors after harm has been done, but this project is very intensely providing services for people named as assaulters, while also taking time to assist survivors in getting their needs met also by referring everybody involved to the available resources. They want to get to the root of the issue, the reproduction, and the harm of violence. If you have been named as someone who has assaulted someone else, and you want to set up a conversation to discuss how you might want to begin to repair that harm, please fill out their initial contact form. Or, if you're just interested in the project and want to learn more, please head to sasrjp.com. One more time, that's sasrjp.com. The Sexual Assault Survivors Restorative Justice Project. One of the founders, Ms. Dominique Crump, will be on tomorrow's episode to discuss the project, so hopefully you all tune in to hear about it. But if you want to um, learn more before tomorrow's episode, please head to sasrjp.com. One more time, sasrjp.com. We are also brought to you by the web's best kept secret, whatsuzhem.com, where there is a new essay up by your boy, yours truly. It is titled, The Truth Will Set You Free. Um, living in D.C., I have been able to participate in a couple of the most recent demonstrations regarding police brutality and just generally how black people are treated in this country and um, finally got my fingers to get to work. So hopefully you all enjoy my musings on what's been going on in the last 400 years, but <laughs> more specifically the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I need to keep my fingers going, so stay on the lookout for more from me, Ms. Ryan Morgan, and other contributors to WhatSuitsHim.com. Also check out our podcast network, uh, WhatSuitsHim Radio, still going strong. I have a deep repository of episodes I've already recorded, but due to the last couple of weeks, it felt kind of weird trying to um, crank out more happier material when I wasn't in that headspace to do it. So I definitely got some stuff excited to get out to you guys in the next days and weeks. Uh, my podcast with Ms. Ryan Morgan, the project is a little bit on hold. We're still hashing out a few um, minor details on in the lead up, but that is also on the way. So be on the lookout for that. Albums of the Decade, season two on the way. If you haven't listened to season one, please listen to the first 12 episodes. They are very good and will be a very um, excellent primer, I believe, for what's coming in season two. So be on the lookout for that as well. Um, everything else we got going on at WestLewisome.com. Consulting, if you need help with resumes, cover letters, we got you with that. Photography, still taking clients. Please fill out our intake questionnaire on the website. Uh, playlist, we have a new June, July playlist on deck and so, so, so much more. So please check out everything we got going on again, like I said, at whatsuitsim.com. One more time, whatsuitsim.com. Coming up, the homie Mel Washington back again. So I've recorded, like I said, I have a deep repository of episodes. I've recorded three episode 50s. Uh, the first one is a basketball talk with Keenan Terry and Donovan Jones, friends of the project. I have not had them on one episode together, and so I was very excited to get that one done, but then the world started to burn just a little bit hotter after we recorded that one, and I didn't really feel comfortable putting it out, all things considered. So that's coming in the next couple of weeks, but um, wanted to get Mel on the phone. Mel's working in criminal justice reform. Um, very smart guy. Just kind of wanted to get his uh, temperature about what's been going on in the world these last couple of weeks, and um, this is from from gender to race and everything in between. So very good conversation. Hopefully you all enjoyed that one on the way. But first, as always, my brother, Willie Bank Jr. Uh, uh, yeah. 
I'm Detroit Zone Savior, Detroit Zone Plug, Detroit Zone Future, Detroit Zone Love, I'm Detroit Zone. Yeah, I'm Detroit Zone. Yeah, and I never asked for my heart back. You can have it without all you taught me. I never would have lasted. I know I can move. All right, we can get started, dude. Uh, back on these microphones. You, you episode fifty technically, bro. Oh, okay. The yeah, big five zero. The big five zero. That's, that's that's important, low key. That's an important date. I don't know the the significance of fifty, but it's a it's a good round number that people celebrate. So I'm gonna say it's an important time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I want to celebrate it anyway. So uh, glad I got you on on Zoom. The brother Mel Washington back on. Can, can they see me? They just back on me. the show. They can just hear you. They can just oh. hear you. I'm not recording video. Just audio. <laughs> Got you, got you, got you. So good. I've been thinking about doing video uh, as a component, but not today. We're not doing okay, this. Today. Okay, okay. So, so good. But how you living, bro? You smooth? I'm doing good, man. You know, as 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 well as can be. You as know, well, as well as can be, man. Yeah, I guess I just kind of wanted. So, um, well, you would notice I recorded episode fifty. That was just like way too lighthearted for the moment. Mm, okay. and, um, not you like talk about the depressing stuff then. Okay. No, not about the depressing. I mean, so it was funny. I told Keenan and Donovan like, man, only person missing is Mel, but Mel mm. don't watch hoop like that, so it, it mm. wouldn't work. It was a, uh, I mean, it's still coming, but it was a Clay Thompson, Reggie Miller cop show, and I was I, like, yeah, I'm like, you. I figured you wouldn't want to. Yeah, do. nah, I can't, I can't get that deep with y'all on that. So I can make jokes about Clay, you know, <laughs> make light skin jokes, but that's about it, about as far as it goes for me. Yeah, no. So I was like, "Oh, this work out." So I can just—I'm gonna have all three niggas on the show, right? In, in some sort of order, anyway. So yeah, they'll be on next episode. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to, de- to debrief about life, bro. I don't—I mm-hmm. feel like I feel like most days I'm good, but it comes in waves where like mm-hmm. this shit, like this is life. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes I get disheartened because stuff like racism and sexism and these hierarchies are just patently. I feel like on their on his face they're pretty dumb, and if people really sat down and interrogated it for ten seconds, they'd realize it. Yeah. And I don't know how people get so entrenched into in their ways, you know. Like that's that, that's the most disheartening part to me is that um, I want to talk to you about this too. Is like so people been there's been a, a, a also a, a sexual reckoning on Twitter where women mm. have been and not not even just said it, it was happening in Michigan, and Michigan State too, but at other universities, yeah, where uh, women have been detailing. Mm. Um, sexual assault and rape by mm-hmm. by by a lot of men that like a lot of us know, especially in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it's disheartening now because there's this sort of I, I guess I feel like the same way. So before we got on mic, we were talking about how white people have been reckoning with this racial moment where mm-hmm. it's almost been too easy for them to jump in front of the argument and be like, "Oh, we didn't know. We'll just be better from here on out." I feel like mm-hmm. men are doing the same thing with the sexual reckoning where they're just like, "Oh." We didn't know. We'll be better from here on out. And my my argument mm-hmm. on both of those is like, how did you not know? It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the, the place to start is to say we knew and we did not do better. That's the place mm-hmm. to start. But to pretend like you didn't know, that's lame mm-hmm. to me. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about that. That's, I mean, that's real. I, you know, as as a person who identifies as a man uh, and who and who tries to, who who, who who is in a constant process of trying to, I think, on, on a lot of different fronts, frankly, reckon with what that means and who I am as a person. I can empathize with people who say they didn't know uh, just because, you know, and I don't like making equivocations to different systems of oppression, but similar to the way like white supremacy is normalized in our society, I definitely think uh, amongst uh, men and amongst, you know, 
heterosexual men in particular, you know, just there is a degree of, I think, violence uh, and disrespect for uh, the autonomy of, 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 I would say, in beings that are deemed inferior. I, that definitely includes uh, women, but also the environment, you know, uh, animals as well, or non-human animals as well. But I think there's a, I think there's just this degree of, of violence that's kind of baked into how we, how, 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 how our society kind of understands heteromasculinity. And I think it can, it's not just sort of physical violence. It's also emotional, psychological violence, and it's not always explicit, specific acts of, of force. And so I think that even people's understandings of like how to date someone or how to court can be more violent than they think. And so I get that. I, I do share your frustration in terms of some of the reactions. Like I've seen a lot of it, particularly in the case of the Michigan um, Twitter, you know, I saw some men who were like, uh, I just want to apologize on behalf of all men. It's like, no, don't apologize on behalf of all men. <laughs> apologize on behalf of yourself. Right. Okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna step into the public space and make a comment, like be introspective and reflective about the ways that you have done wrong and model a process uh for 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 reckoning with that. You know what I mean? And, and for being accountable uh for that. And I'm not saying that to suggest that that's easy because it's extremely difficult. But people and, and by people I mean men and by men I mean particularly straight men be you know sometimes we in such a rush to just speak on stuff mm -hmm. and you know that it's like that if you're gonna be so quick to speak you need to be quick to to to, to reflect and think about what you did wrong don't apologize for all man you don't know right. all man. Right. you've done things that are wrong i've done things you know what i mean that i feel like i could have been a better person i haven't granted the things that are coming out on that twitter i haven't done anything like that <laughs> but just like in terms of 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 you know listening to women you know what i mean in terms of you know there's a whole like male solidarity thing where like two men will agree on something and lock a and lock a woman out of the conversation like mm -hmm. little things like that like those types of microaggressions i've been guilty of that stuff you know what i mean like and so i think it's important for us to you know reflect on how we will never truly like how we how 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 deeply all of this runs i guess you know no no um, I, I i don't I guess my only and I, I would love to hear a perspective on this too is that mm -hmm. like i guess and this is this is somebody this is I guess like sometimes when I do think about this stuff, it's like wow, it, it almost is sociopathic the way, the way it is ingrained, but almost the way. Because my only argument is that on, on both the issues of race and sex, it's like to say you didn't know better is to almost articulate that you weren't aware that the person w didn't like what you were doing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I guess like that that takes a level of self unawareness. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so so I was watching um. I've been watching Miss America on uh Great on show. Hulu. Yeah, I want mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about that and um um the show on HBO. Uh 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 Against America. Against America. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woof, great that show. That show was real prescient. But um mm -hmm. But no, so like it's so uh, the Elizabeth Banks character makes a point about how like to get the ERA or like to get a lot of programs passed, she had to like give in to the microaggressions of men. She had to let 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 herself get hugged for a second too long. She had to let the guy look up her skirt. She had to um let she had she had to know that like a guy was looking at her cleavage. You know stuff like that. And it's like mm -hmm. men it's almost and I feel the same way about I don't want to just like make it a gender thing because it's racial too. And I also don't want to make my put myself on the pedestal because just like you said, like I am not perfect. I have used my privilege in ways that I'm not proud of and that like I still have mm -hmm. to reckon with and that like I want to make clear but I also want to make clear too that like in the moment I was not unaware that I was using my privilege. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure there have been moments. Like, I, that's the thing, too, is like, when, as I say that, I'm like, well, there have probably been moments in the past where I did do some shit and I wasn't aware of that. And mm-hmm. those are the moments I actually need to clean up, not the moments that I am aware of. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It's just weird to think that, like, you can make somebody uncomfortable or you can, like, be cognizant that, that, that this person is uncomfortable and just think because you are owed that person's autonomy or because you are, like, are on a higher point of the hierarchy than that person their level of uncomfortability isn't as important as your level of comfort. Right. You know I, I, th- I, th- I think, I think, I think particularly when we think about gender, I think that, uh, I think that the, the, the violence of heteromasculinity is just so normalized that people, that the discomfort is unintelligible. Like we don't even realize that somebody's uncomfortable. I think that's what, that's what we that's hear. That's so weird to me, bro. It's, it's, it's true though. It's like, that's what, that's what we hear when, when people say, you know, Oh, she wanted it or she was giving me signs or when people are like oh why didn't you do this she was giving you sick it's like if she didn't say it then you don't know what she was doing i think about it one one very simple way i think about it uh it, it, how how normalized sort of it is is like you know i you know we were both in college during the what i would consider the you know the golden era of twerk music you know what i mean you shout had to travi shout out to travi you know, and me personally, you know, I was a, I was a bit of a dork. You know, I shouldn't say a dork, but definitely a nerd. I wasn't a dork, but I was definitely a nerd. You ain't you know? no nerd. No. I 100% am. And if you talk to anybody that has known me, you know, since probably before college and even in college, people that know me know I am. But anyway, um, you know, I, I never really went to, to parties like that and everything. And I remember my first time going to a party in middle school, like seeing people dancing like on each other. Like I, my relationship with physical contact is is not one to where like that was something that was comfortable for me at the time. I didn't know what the hell to do. Fast forward to college, you know, that, that's sort of just again, that's just the norm. Like it's like, oh, here's this person, usually this, this usually a dude, right? You just walk up behind a woman and just start dancing with her. You know what I mean? And then it's on her to say, okay, no, nah, I don't want to right. do this or you off or whatever. And in some cases, in most cases, in many cases, I should say, you know, people may respect that and walk away. But to think that a woman has to push you off of her mm-hmm. or to, 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 that you can just walk up on somebody and dance with them. Right. You, I, I mean, I, I definitely had that conversation last that's, week. That's an, that's an example of how it's normalized, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like where you don't even realize that that makes somebody uncomfortable. But like, let somebody walk up on me. I don't like people looking at me in the street, much less a random person touching me. You know what I mean? So, but but in my mind in college, I was never like, oh, this makes a woman uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. No, I mean, because I was so to that point about the, the twerking conversation. Because, like, so I always thought about consent with that was literally like, you walk up on the girl, she turn around, either she gonna dance or she not. She turn mm-hmm. around, she don't wanna dance with you, you take your L, you walk away. I've mm-hmm. seen some niggas be aggressive and like keep trying. And mm-hmm. so, I've obviously that can happen too. But it made me think about like niggas really never asked a girl to dance. It was always yeah. if she don't want to dance with me, then she just won't. But it was never was a, a like asking process. It never was mm-hmm. like you walked up to. And I mean, this, I don't know when this phenomenon started. Phenomenon started, but it's like to think once upon a time you really had to walk up to a person and be like, "Would you like to dance?" Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that turned into you just walking up to a girl and just bending her over. Mm-hmm. Right, and that, and and if you even just the way you just you know describe that describe that interaction, you know it begins with you initiating physical contact, and not everybody is comfortable being touched. Right, you know what I mean. Even in the slightest of ways, and so for the norm to be like you don't ask, you know what I mean. Like it 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 makes it easier for 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 people to not realize that you know this is making folks uncomfortable. 
Um, and I think that's just a very small example, uh, but I think it's emblematic of a, the way a lot of people, the way a lot of men in particular have like, you know, understood relations with women. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad this, 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 that there, there is this reckoning. I think that, you know, we could have other conversations about, you know, what accountability looks like, what sort of justice looks like in this context. Um, but I'm, but it's important, I think, and I'm glad that people are having the, those conversations uh, and making it known in, the, in that women are feeling comfortable being, or more comfortable being like, this person did this to me, made me feel uncomfortable or made or, or violated me or was violent towards me or assaulted me or what have you in mm -hmm. this way. Um, because without that, you know, it just keeps happening and we don't have the interruption. You know what I mean? Like that right. is the interruption. That is what shows you, no, this is not normal. Like, yeah, you thought, okay, she came over and we were drinking. So clearly she wants to have sex with me. But like this moment is like, no, actually that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You should be learning from this. So I, I say, I like to say, I hope that men everywhere, like our generation, and especially them that are younger than us. I don't really talk to a lot of younger people. So I don't know what's going on in that world aside from like TikTok. But like, I'm hoping that like, they look at this and are like, oh, these other, these, these, these other signals that I'm getting from other parts of society are actually telling me to, indulge in violent behaviors and you know and, and and learn from the moment i guess is what i hope right no I, and i don't I, I think that like so i and i and i guess like i'm i'm almost i am exceptionalizing myself because i don't know what behaviors people are taught i guess i grew up i grew up in a house full of women right and so the violent behaviors i did still learn were almost in ingrained into society in a way mm -hmm. exactly you know exactly. what i'm saying like it wasn't even that like i learned them from like a toxic man right i learned them from like just the, <laughs> the person structuring the people structuring our society right but then it's almost so like re so religion mm -hmm. um like that that's that was big in my household and that also right. was like fundamental with how i learned how to interact with people um so yeah and i, I don't know i always felt like so me specifically, I guess I would just like tell my own personal just like perspective on sexual assault anyway, like just like interacting with somebody you find attractive is like, don't touch unless touched. You know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've never felt compelled, but it's also like you get, so I've had this conversation with my stepmom before where she makes a joke about like, you only like who likes you. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's the safest way to make sure that like, you know what I'm saying? I ain't doing too much. You know what I'm saying? And I, I feel like I've only dated attractive women before but the point i'm trying to make is that like you know what i'm saying like i'm not i'm not out here fucking everything moving a and b like i think that's the, a safe way to go you know what i'm saying like i'm not mm -hmm. I, I will admit that like my fear of i mean this is going left we're not talking about this but like I, I will admit like my fear of rejection has has also dictated my interaction with women but it's also like i think it's safe to let them dictate, but it's also like men are taught that you have to be the predator, like not the predators, that's the wrong yeah. word, but for lack of a better word, like they have to be the ones that go get the girl, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like all these make signals about like, well, do I wait for her? Do I go get her? What do I do once I got her? Do it, but mm -hmm. I'm not justifying like, like rape, obviously, but I do think it get, does get to a point with men sometimes where it's like, well, what do I got to do? to get the girl and i don't i don't know the answer to that question honestly i think i, th I think the problem is that and i think you i think you used the right term the first time in terms of uh you know i think you were you were you were getting towards predatory and i think that's sort of the way unfortunately like a lot of i think that i think i think and so a few, a few things first of all i think that you know i think we learn and by we i mean you know 
uh, by we, I mean straight men. And this is this, it really goes, it, this, this part goes beyond just straight men. But I think that a lot of, I think that we learn not just from like the individuals in our household, but like you're saying, we learn from the church, the schoolhouse, the mm-hmm. team, the TV, it's, it's multiple, there are multiple sites and multiple sources. And I think what all those sources show us as it relates to romantic relationships, put the man in a, the, 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 and I'm saying the man intentionally here because it's it, historically or traditionally it has been heteronormative, right? Man and woman puts the man in this predatory situation where the question is, how do I get the mm-hmm, woman? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that in and of itself is, should not be, is, you know, is, 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 is a predatory question. You know what I mean? Like, how do I get them? How do I? And so I feel like I, I feel you. I think I think a fear of rejection, frankly, is is good and healthy, right? Fair. Because it, it creates space. You know what I mean? To say that, hey, maybe this person doesn't want me. Maybe this person doesn't like me. I know I've been around a number of people, number of men who just assume like every woman's just into them. Like any little thing, you look at me, are you into me? That blows okay. my mind, bro. And, like, and like, they, yeah, I be they, I be trying to get to the headspace of men that think like that, and I guess that's my blind spot that there are men who legitimately think like that. You know. It, it, people feel like it gives them license to do whatever they want to do at that point or to not do whatever they want to do, but to, 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 to go into, into the hunt, I guess is what I'm saying. And so I say all that saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to belabor this point, but I can definitely empathize with, 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 uh, I can definitely, I can, I can definitely empathize sort of like with these men who are realizing, Oh, everything is, 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 is everything I've been doing is wrong just because it's like, I'm, I, I am a person who is, I'm a straight man who was raised in the United States and I've received all the messaging and signals and sort of lessons that they have both, again, from peers, from family, from religious leaders, from, from everywhere. And for the majority of my life, none of those have been based in, you know, some understanding of like respecting women's autonomy yeah. there or anything like that, you know? And so that has been work that I've, had to do and for me personally that has come largely in the context of you know intimate relationships uh just because those and by intimate i don't even necessarily just mean romantic i just mean people that i'm close with you know uh because that's where i'm most comfortable sort of doing all that i guess and being vulnerable and whatnot but i think it requires people to be vulnerable i think it requires people to dig deep and understand who they are and why they are the way they are and i think it requires people to be honest about sort of how they may have hurt people in the past and to talk to people you know mm-hmm. No, I agree with everything you said. I um, I'm just a little bit disappointed. I thought like, mm. I thought black men knew a little bit better, bro. I really nah, did. Bro. <laughs> I really did. Nah, bro, we trash, low key. But no, that's the problem though. Is I feel like that's the thing. Is is, is I feel like so I will get back in the race. But yeah. I feel like white people definitely know better. Nah, you know, bro. I I, I do. I um, I feel like they. I mean, they know why we're mad. They think it's unjustified, but they know why we're mad. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I feel I, I always laugh at. Um, I don't know if you watched Black AF because I haven't started it yet on Netflix, right? Yeah. Do you watch? Mm-hmm. Have you watched any Blackish? I've seen. Okay, I've seen a couple episodes of Blackish, and the episodes that I like the most are the darkest ones. So, okay. and I know the whole series isn't like that. Like, I saw the episodes when they were going through a divorce, and I was like, "Wow, this no, is no, that was captivating television. This is was, this moving. Really oh my god!" The only thing about it though was that like. It was kind of, I mean, we got to talk about black but that, that, that divorce storyline was kind of abrupt because it was mm-hmm. the same sort of petty face he had always been getting into, but this time it was too much. And I'm it was, like... It was deep, yeah, but that's the thing. It builds up, and yeah. then it's like, I'm done with this. Right. Oof, I'm getting chills. Yeah. <laughs> Any, no, anyway, so, I mean, they, um, 
Anthony Anderson and Kenya Barris play the exact same character. They mm. they, they both. But the uh, one of their jokes is that like that slavery is their north star. They can take everything back to slavery, and mm. it's because it's true. You can take mm. everything yeah. back to slavery, mm. and so. I feel like they know we're mad because of slavery. They just think mm-hmm. that slavery happened 10 million years ago. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, it actually didn't happen 10 million right. years ago. It right. happened long, oh, quick enough for, I think my mom's grandma was a slave. So, what's that, five generations ago? Not that long mm-hmm. ago. Like, come no. on, <laughs> come on, man. My, my, my family is still, like, the majority of my, my mom's family and my dad's family, they both live in the places where our ancestors weren't slaves. Like, they still there. You know, so that, that that's literally my argument about like I think they know better. So mm-hmm. I will say that I I heard we were talking before we got on my too about some well-meaning white people that I've been mm-hmm. listening to, um, Popovich, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, and Steve, uh, what's Carol, uh, Pete Carroll from the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. They had a podcast together maybe a week ago where they were talking about. Um, they had like a very good conversation about the importance of like American history being more. Um, being more inclusive of like white terrorism and talking about African American mm-hmm. history in totality and how they didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the Tulsa race riots and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I was like, I mean, it's not to say that that that's the weird part, bro, is I don't know how, how you include everything in American history. Like I'm thinking about history books when we got kids and how 2020 is probably gonna be in history books, right? Like they gotta teach us in schools. It has to be. But I'm like, at what point? Considering World War One had just ended and um, we about to head into the Great Depression, like you, you can only talk about so much stuff in school. At what point is like does the Tulsa race riots just kind of get swept under the rug? Yeah. At the same time, I'm just kind of I've articulated that there needs to be like an African American history course, just period. Anyway, in high school, you know, mm-hmm. like I think like uh, aside from your typical U.S. history or social studies class, there needs to be African American history in order to graduate, mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. just dedicate a class to. Um, if you want to start at sixteen nineteen, fine. But if you want to go a little bit back further than that, then fine. But I do think there needs to be a, a sort of reckoning about why everything after the Civil War failed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I really don't think that, like, I really do think, I think there's this conception of slavery that the Civil War ended, the Emancipation Proclamation got signed, black people got their freedom, the world was happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, black people, like, 40 acres in the mule never happened. We never got reparations. Right. Um, Reconstruction stopped all that shit. And then Jim Crow. And then and then Plessy, which I hate. Because the thing about Plessy is it could have worked, except for I, I laugh about Bravi Board now because what Bravi Board basically like put that statutorily told you was that mm. black people can never have nice things of their own. That's what mm. Brown B. Board said. It's mm. not that like integration necessary. It was that we'll never give you the adequate amount of funding to have your own nice things. So we'll just let you come back. We got to let you come do stuff with us now. Right. That that was the argument. And I'm like, that's not what we wanted, bro. We wanted nice stuff. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I think, I think, I mean, I think you, I think you said a lot there. Um, and I, I did, I did. I kind of, no, it's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. I'm saying, I think, I think you said a lot of important things there. Starting with, starting with Brown. I mean, I think what you're hitting on is, and and this is a I think this is why there would be value to having you know a, a a better sort of approach to teaching American history. I think what you're what you what, what Brown represents is a very sort of deliberate move uh, in in black politics and black intellectual thought, where people came to that conclusion to say like it's better for us to advocate for inclusion 
than it is for us to say we want something separate. Because I mean, let's not forget, you know, I'm in Brooklyn, you know, got Marcus Garvey Boulevard. Let's not forget about Marcus Garvey. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget about the, you know, United Negro Improvement Association. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget about the fact that Abraham Lincoln was in support of funding different approaches and strategies to basically send black people to Africa, not just because we trying to get rid of the, the Negroes, but maybe they'll be better off there. Right. You know what I mean? Like there were definitely people, there have always been people in the black community who have been in favor of, you know, separate and equal, mm. you know what I mean? Separate and resource, whether that's separate here or separate, you know, out of this country, you know, Liberia, look at Liberia. Mm. And we, I'm not even going to get into sort of like conversations about colonialism and what it means for black Americans to go to Africa and what it, what, what, and Liberia and the, the, the Freetown and Sierra Leone. I'm not going to get into that, but just to say that that, what you're hitting on represents a very specific, I feel like, and deliberate choice that people made. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. that political leaders at the time made. In terms of like, what do we teach in terms of history? I agree with you in the sense that there is so much. I mean, I loved, I've always loved history. Like even to this day, I find myself reading a lot about, you know, the history of this moment. I, I read about 1968. I read about the Harlem riots in the 1940s. Like I've always loved history and there is a lot to teach, but I think it's a question of what do people choose to teach? I think I had I didn't see this podcast with Pete, Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr, but I, I love that point. Like we should talk more about white terrorism and how sort of this country is frankly founded on it. And it's mm-hmm. like, you can just re, retool what you talk about. Like maybe we hear a little bit less about how Ford pardoned Nixon, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And more right. about how Nixon started the war on drugs. You know what I mean? Well, he didn't start it, but how he amped it up. You know what I mean? And so I, th- I think you could teach it. It's just a question of, you know, what do people want to focus on? Um, and I, I like your idea about having an African-American history course. I would love for different places to have localized history. So like in Texas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you learn the history of Texas mm-hmm. and you, you know, you say the pledge to the, to the, to the, to the I don't know if you pledge to the flag of Texas. I think you do. <laughs> in Florida, we learn Florida history. Like that's something that you see. What if the Texas history, what if, I shouldn't speak on Texas. I should speak on Florida since that's where I'm from. What if Floridian history or Michigan history or DC history also included the localized history of white supremacy? Because I feel like that makes it easier to then bring in not just black history, but if we talk about California, then we got to talk about, you know, how Mexican Americans were treated when California was stolen from Mexico, basically. Mm -hmm. We got to talk about Japanese internment. We got to talk about, you know, all these other people of color that have been subjugated, indigenous folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. and we got to talk about it in the specific localized context that it occurred, which I think would be great. No, I, I I like that idea too. I mean, there's still a clan stronghold in Michigan, bro. Mm, I believe it, uh, bro. In in the nineteen in the early twentieth century, the clan was a whole. They were a whole political force marching down the streets of D.C. They had hundreds of thousands of members. They would lobby Congress. Like you know? this is the clan, like the Ku Klux Klan. When you think about it in those terms, it's almost irrational to think that there would be zero clan members in 2020. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they were huge back in the day. Yes, we're in the we're in the third the third generation of the clan. Which you know, the first generation you had if largely former Confederate people. They were really organized. It was more secret society type stuff. Second generation. You got white folks in sheets marching down the streets. Third generation, which is what we have right now, is a lot of loosely connected organizations that just call themselves Klan, mm-hmm. which is scary in some ways because they're all online. They're infiltrating protests. They're doing all types of stuff. Yeah, bro, the Klan, the Klan is out here. Right, white, right-wing extremists are out here. That scares me. That scares me, the things they do on the internet. Man, no, I saw, bro, I just saw, um, what was it? 
this thread that basically was explaining why they wear luau shirts to their uh protest. Oh, the bug you talking about the bugaloo boys. The bugaloo, the bugaloo yeah, yeah, bro. That shit bro. was insane. That thread threw me completely off. Bro, my my former debate partner who I, you know, I'm a I is a really good friend of mine, um, Joe LaDuke. He does research on this, like not for work, but just like he's just he's always been real nerdy about different type of stuff and he will be on some of these chat rooms just to like see what people are talking about. And I, I always go to him to like see what's up. Cause he he always knows. He'll be like, yeah, you know, Bugloo boys, they about this. And this group is about that. And this group does this. And it's crazy to think about how many of these individuals there are and how deep, how, 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 how the internet facilitates their activities and how some of them, how committed some of them are frankly to, to, to violence. Uh, there's one, and I'll stop after this, there's one sort of body or, or school of thought, and this exists not just on the right, but also on the left, but I'm focusing on the right, so we're talking about white uh, racist extremists, a school of thought called accelerationist, where they feel, they believe that uh, if they escalate clashes between uh, the people and the state, then it will hasten uh, or speed up the collapse, essentially, of the United States government, which they think is just fundamentally corrupt. Uh, and out to get white people. A few things are absurd to me. You think that a government that was built on slavery, the, the the slavery of black folks and the theft of native land by white men is now out to get white people. Okay, crazy. But no, uh, but here's the thing though, is they're not wrong. I learned, mm-hmm. I learned in property specifically that like, mm-hmm. they basically, I mean, you got to kind of have like written law because in, in absence of like something that's written down, niggas will just act how they want to. Mm-hmm. And so- on a very fundamental level, their argument is that, like, we can't do what we want to do because of the government. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't act the way we want to act. We can't, we don't, our birthright is being taken from us because you all want to be inclusive of everybody. That's not what this entire experiment was the fuck about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When we got here, there was, that's kind of, that's the, that's the problem with uh, people who look at the Constitution as, as a very strict, as very strict textualist. It's like, bro. They wrote it during slavery. They never in their wildest dreams imagined that mm-hmm. black people would be talking about the, the Constitution mm-hmm. in these times. Mm-hmm. So, so what mm-hmm. are you talking about, bro? Like, we, it has, you have to look at it like a living document. But right. if you want, if you want to maintain the status quo from 1789 or whatever the fuck, you looking at it right. like, yeah, black people are less than, or everybody else is less than. So right. just just push it back on that. They yeah. are not wrong. Is that the government is taking I mean, what they think belongs to them? <laughs> Yes, yes, the government restricts their liberties in some senses to protect the liberty of other people. But to think that the United States government is out to get white people. No, that now that's wrong. That's patently false. Is is absurd to me. But and so and I say all that to say, but just to just to just to speak to sort of like how diverse, I guess, the range of white right wing ideals are uh, and just how many how many of them there are out here. But they, they out here. They, we, I was, I be joking. I was joking with Joe. Like it's like, you know, I'm doing, I'm trying to exercise, trying to get fit, trying to gain weight. He was like, you got to get fit for the rug. And he was like, that's what some of these, you, look, we out here protesting and marching. And this before we was out here protesting and marching. We were, you know, a lot of black people were just organizing and everything. And he was like, a lot of these white extremist groups are doing martial arts training. Mm-hmm. They are learning. They are buying firearms. They're learning how to use them because they think the rev is coming and it's gonna be violent and we gotta be ready for it. You know, get fit for the rev. You know, so and they, hey, look, they live next door. Man. You know what I mean? You never know. You're not lying. No, it's funny because anytime people be, um, I know you've seen those videos of 
folks would be in the gym doing like real real life martial arts yeah. training. Yeah. <laughs> and people be laughing at it. I'm like, man, they 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 preparing for the Civil War, bro. They are mm-hmm. getting to, they getting together. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And let me tell you how I don't have no martial arts training. Zero. I got I got these hands and the last fight I've been in, I was like 15. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I look, I, I, I also have zero martial arts training. I would we'll just be but look, I don't fight fair though. So you know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't <laughs> fight fair the race war, bro. Which is can't what fight fair the race. Look, if y'all if y'all want to come, y'all want to come through here. Look, I'm not gonna say uh, you know I'm gonna be victorious, but uh, <laughs> it ain't gonna be easy. I tell you that much. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I don't have no guns and none like that. I don't own none like that. But you know, if you gotta fight for your life, you gotta fight for your life. But I don't think it needs to come to that. These people are crazy. I don't know. There's that. Also, just, random random plug: Bobby Kennedy for president. On Netflix, Grace. I need to finish that. Yeah, I need to finish that. We 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 can get we can get to the shows in a second too. But the only thing I was gonna say is I just don't want to. You know how in the movies, um, the people who just like get blown up, just kind of just unceremoniously, they just get blown up. I just don't want to mm-hmm. go out like that. You know, what I'm saying? Okay. just let me. Let, if if I'm gonna die, let me die. Not, not quite a hero, but at least not quite an anonymously neither. I need to. Right, right, right. I don't want to be part of one of the thirty that just get blown up on the on the landmine. Right, right, right. But that's real. That's real. Yo, black men, are you tired of being told that men are trash? Are you tired of hearing over and over about toxic masculinity? Are you tired of having black masculinity defined for you? All in the videos, dancing. I bet. Check this out. Cue the music, please. My name is Jeremy Hurt, and Let's Talk Bruh is a podcast that I host on black masculinity. We have conversations on black masculinity and take it into our own hands, define it for ourselves, and break down what men are trash really means, as well as what it means to hold ourselves accountable for toxic masculinity and the ways that it impacts us and women. I have conversations on vulnerability, mental health, friendship, sex, and much more. Being a black man, as we know, is a full-time job with no days off. And Let's Talk Pro is a podcast where all black men can have deeper conversations outside of Twitter's 280 characters to vent, to laugh, celebrate our wins, and call each other out for problematic behavior like telling your boy to man up when he's crying because what does it really mean to be a man if you can't cry? With each episode, we try to do our part in considering and suggesting new visions of black masculinity. Let's Talk Bro drops every Wednesday anywhere you can find podcasts. But no, I guess like so. World news: the world is burning. Oh, it's uh, burning. Locust in Africa: forty million people unemployed in the United States. Coronavirus ravaging in South America. Donald Trump's a little idiot. <laughs> a little idiot. Whole tangerine. <laughs> Bro, he gets away with so much bullshit. I feel like every day I'm like, well, that was impeachable. Well, that was impeachable. Well, that was definitely impeachable. Like, he just does impeachable shit on daily. The the thing he said, when he said drink bleach, I was like, that's another impeachable offense. Like, right there, point blank, period. You he cannot really advise your the constituency to drink bleach. Then say it was a joke. And then when niggas are going to the hospital, off your advice, what like right. what are you, you going to say to that? I was right. joking? How does that work? <laughs> A really, a really good friend of mine who I used to be in love with was telling me that she was afraid about the military um, in D.C. because the gen- like the generals weren't necessarily standing up. This is before they came out with uh, with like, this is before the generals came out against against sort of Trump using the military and out to to quell the protests or to 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 to, to respond to the protests. And I was like, "Yo, that that would be crazy." And she was saying, and this is similar to the plot against America. Did you finish the plot against America? I don't want to spoil. No, it. yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with that. Miss America. <laughs> 
this is similar to the ending of that, but she was saying, what if, what if they, like, what if they stole the election? Oh, that's 100%, bro. That's so up for grabs. That's that's why I don't want vote vote by mail, bro. 100%. I'm like, man, so many ballots will go missing. So Mm -hmm. many ballots will go missing, dog. And I hate to get conspiratorial. I remember, shout out to Ryan, but anytime Ryan would get conspiratorial, we were younger. Mm -hmm. I would just always be like, man, you like, come on, man. Like, Come on, it's, man. It's it's you know it's not that far fetched. I mean, when you think about you know voter disenfranchisement and across the country, with did, you, did you see Georgia all, today? I saw the news. Yeah, these long lines, and you know, I mean, it's it's not. I don't think it's that far fetched. You know, I mean, this is the country that not you know aside from just voter ID laws, this is the country that you know not 40, 50 years ago was forcing black people to estimate the number of beans in a damn jar to determine whether or not they were literate enough to vote. Like. Mm? This is the same country where white men rode on horsebacks and damaged, destroyed not only black property, but black lives to scare people away from voting. So I don't think that it's too sort of far fetched to think that in this day and age where we still have all types of white supremacists all across the political spectrum in a variety of different positions of power, even people who aren't white supremacists, but just want power for themselves. So I don't think it's that far fetched to think that. You know, people might steal an election. Man, I feel like, and I mean, I take this stuff for granted because I didn't see it, I didn't witness it. But like, mm-hmm. um, I just read the other day how one of the Selma marches was literally to go register to vote because when people would go register to vote individually, they would get beat up. Yep. You couldn't go register to vote because a mob would beat you up. Yep. yep. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's Crazy. incredible to me, bro. Crazy. Incredible. I was thinking about that the other day. I was at a protest and we were walking through Brooklyn and there were all these people out on their streets banging pots. Uh, there was this one, I remember there was one older white woman. She was just so energized. She was giving me energy, how energized she was. And I was thinking, you know, wow. And I told my friend, I was like, can you imagine protesting in the 60s against racism? There were all these people in the street, but instead of cheering for you, they were spitting at you. They were throwing rocks at you, mm-hmm. you know? And she was like, you know, well, you know, God made me for the time that I'm in because I couldn't take that. And I'm like, you know, it's hard for me to imagine it. You know, right, it's hard to imagine it. This is impossible to imagine it, man. I um, I mean, I felt guilty. So I went out there for the first time last Wednesday because mm-hmm. um, I felt I mean, I had my COVID concerns more than anything else. I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be out there. There are different ways to support. Right. Um, and your boy's on insurance list for the next couple of months anyways. So okay. yeah, like if I go to the hospital, it's gonna be bad. So right. it's like I, I need to cut my losses. Or at least right. count or at least count them. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but at a point I'm like, nah, like this this is this is like your people, this is your livelihood. At the very least, like go out there, take some pictures. Like that can be a, mm-hmm. that could be activism too, like making sure like the, the true story gets Young told. We got a young Gordon Parks on the on the on the on the on the podcast, y'all. Man, y'all better, you know, better watch out. Anyways. Let's do some photography. Anyways, appreciate the plug, bro. But no, it's like, man, to think that so um so so funny, so true story. Wednesday when I went out, I walked uh downtown and I ended up like crossing this march that was walking back toward my apartment. So I mm. walked with them for a couple blocks and I was like, this is kind of productive because I'm wasn't I'm going back home. So I mm. like broke off from them and somehow serendipitously wound up like at the White House. And like oh, so wow. where so where so where they tear gassed them they would pepper sprayed them people so Trump could walk across the lawn and get to the church. That's really literally where I was at. And I didn't wow. I didn't realize it until I got there. And I was like yeah. So military police are like three rows deep. They, so he, he's got it fenced out like six blocks now. Mm-hmm. Military police are like three rows deep. Um, I'm like, 
maybe three rows from them. So I'm I'm gonna say like I'm in imminent danger, but like if they decide they want to turn the fuck up, like I'm in the first line. You in the thick of it. Right. So mm-hmm. it was but it was mostly peaceful, bro. Like it was it was folks chanting. It was this one wild dude next to me who kept yelling that like he didn't care if they shot if he if he got shot he like it was fine I was kind of like bro you don't me. care bro I was like take that shit all the way all the take that right. shit six blocks that way right um, right but it was mostly peaceful like it was it was this, this powerful black sister mm. couldn't have been no taller than like five two mm. who like so everybody everybody took a knee a little Ray Pay thing mm-hmm. shout out to Ray Pay she also killed her speech on Sunday she bodied mm-hmm. that shit but mm-hmm. uh bro so so everybody took so it was like we about to kneel. Since it was like, I'm not kneeling no more, and went on this monologue about how all those black military police should be ashamed of themselves, mm. and they brainwashed, she used to be brainwashed too, but she read the Honorable uh, Malcolm X and and, Malcolm, oh. and Martin Luther King, and, and she, said, she said it ain't about one philosophy, it's just about like freeing your mind, and like being military ain't gonna save you, like being part of the apparatus ain't gonna save you. She spoke passionately for like mm. five to seven minutes, bro. And like I didn't kneel neither because I'm like I'm I'm done kneeling like Colin kneeled and y'all didn't like that shit so mm-hmm. we passed that so I'm just right. I'm just with her like I'm fist up like you are an inspiration my sister and she she was because it was fucked up because they had like multiple black military police in the front row oh yeah, she was like, like get, y'all, get y'all get y'all black selves up here right and she was like that's messed up they got y'all up front it's messed up they got y'all out front like why they got why why they can't stand up for themselves if they if they really feel this way. Like, do, are y'all really are y'all really committed to the cause where like y'all are really willing to say that like George Floyd's death was justified? Y'all really really willing to say that Breonna Taylor's death was justified? Like, it was yeah. so it was so powerful, bro. I, I I'm I'm glad because I don't I don't really have another venue for this comment because I I feel like uh it's a it's a it's for some people it's an unpopular opinion, but you know, I, in the midst of all of this. You know, this conversation, first of all, I don't think the conversation has to just, should be just about police or police brutality, but your point and your story about sort of this, the, this, this black, was it a National Guardsman or, you know, were they, were they, were they, it, it, they had military police across their vest. I have never seen that before. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I also don't know if like uh, New York has been occupied by like tanks and shit. Like this is, no, they kept wild. that out. This is would... tanks on city streets and shit out here. Like, yeah, it's I, obvious I... determined. Like to me, that's the that's the most brazen sort of like, not the most brazen, but one of its top three is how mm-hmm. are you really trying to like scare people from protesting? Because basically, what you're doing is like, if you out here and some shit pop off, you might be in a crossfire. You never know. And that's what was clear to me was like, if I go out there with my, with my camera, uh, journalists was getting hit by uh, rubber bullets intentionally, bro. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, again, I don't have insurance, so if I if something happened to me. I yeah. can't be hitting my parents with that bill. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's 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 interesting because you know other countries have used this, and I mean, what what we in the United States would describe as propaganda, but other countries have used this in their messaging around the United States because you know globally the U.S. you know for 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 decades really has uh, championed itself as this beacon of democracy and criticized the way other countries have handled its uh, unrest, and so countries like China and Russia, which are not perfect societies. I mean, China is engaging arguably in a process of genocide of the Uyghur people, the Uyghur Muslims in China, like right now. So I'm not trying to say China is like a great place, but China and Russia, you know, and other countries have showed footage of exactly what you're describing, sort of tanks, you know, on American streets and military police to demonstrate like, this is how they crack down too. And I saw Condoleezza Rice responding to some of that propaganda at on, um, on what was it, CBS uh, Face the Nation, which I love. Shout out, uh, if you like 
dry news. <laughs> I do. Shout out, uh, is it Margaret Brennan? Yeah, shout out Margaret Brennan. I said uh, I'm going to get up on my Sunday morning shows. And I, I always have to watch Meet the Press, but then Chuck Tyree letting me down. and I the, No, don't, don't watch Meet the Press. Watch watch Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. Watch Fareed Zakaria, GPS. Uh, maybe the lead with Jake Tapper if you're going to stay on CNN. Um, but yeah, I just want to shout out, I want to shout out Margaret Brennan, shout, shout out, like, that's my friend, like, she knows me, but anyway, shout out Margaret Brennan on Face Nation. You know, you know, shout she listen to West Wilson Radio, you know what I'm saying? Hey, we got a, a tagger on, uh, <laughs> tagger on, uh, tagger on Twitter. Shout out Nora O'Donnell, uh, Nora O'Donnell, um, on CBS Evening News, you know, shout out Women Anchors. But, um, but Condoleezza Rice was on Face the Nation, and, um, you know, she occupies a very interesting position, first and foremost, as a black woman who headed the State Department in the Bush administration. Right. You know what I mean? Like those are some um, intersections for you, is yeah. And so she was, she was saying, you know, some of those criticisms, you know, are uh, she understands where they're coming from because of the Trump administration's response. But she was like, this is not Tiananmen Square, which is what she said, where you had tanks explicitly like targeting people. Like that's literally what they were doing actively. And so, you know, I'm just stating her argument. I'm not saying I agree with it. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting to think like you had that fear. And to think about the way other countries are sort of packaging that and messaging that to counter America's messaging about being sort of a beacon of democracy and liberty and freedom. I mean, just so just on a, on a very like basic level, I remember because I'm, I'm just out there documenting the day, right? Like I'm on my, I'm, I, I like to think of, I mean, I'm putting myself on way too high pedestal now, but I want to walk in the legacy of Baldwin, right? So I'm just, I'm a witness. I'm just, mm-hmm. just, just the facts. So. Mm-hmm. I'm out here trying to take a picture of what's happening, and what's happening is there is a tank in the middle of the street, right, and I want and I want to get a picture of it. But I'm like, will they find that as me trying to antagonize them? You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to be stealth about taking the picture, and I'm like, that's wild. This is America, bro. This, this is my first amendment race, and I'm out here trying to determine whether or not I can take a picture of a tank. Like, crazy man, mm-hmm. crazy man. That's what I mean yeah. by determine. It's like they really they're trying to frighten you into submission. Mm-hmm. You know, if if not submission, at least acquiescence. Like, mm-hmm. do what we tell mm-hmm. you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, and 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 Trump has said as much. You know what I mean? Dominate the battle space. You know, Fuck talking about scaring people, telling you know, backing people down. If you show them that you're weak, then they'll run right over you. Like, I think you. I think what you're saying is spot on. I think it. it you know, I think what you felt is what the administration wanted you to feel. You know. Him and Bill Barr, I hope they both. I hope nothing but the worst for either of them. Um, but no, I guess I could like on a happier, sort of happier note to close out because it's television, so we can at least pretend it's fantasy. Um, I feel like so the plot against America and Mrs. America came out almost simultaneously at interesting points. Um, so we kind of talked about the plot against America, how it ended. It's a story about. So it's it's an alternate history of. If Charles Lindbergh, the famous guy who flew, the first guy who flew transatlantic from here to Paris, right? If mm-hmm. he, um, which is crazy to think about, because I remember learning about him in U.S. history, like that thing mm-hmm. was important. Did you like, learn? Did you learn about the American Nazi Party in U.S. history? I did not learn about the American Nazi Party in U.S. Crazy. history. You know, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember I learned about him and how he, when his baby got kidnapped, it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like that was a, so that made kidnapping a federal crime. Whatever, we're not talking about him. See, did they need to include that? <laughs> they could have spent that time. Oh, hey, look, kidnapping is a is a is a traumatic thing. Is not to make light of that by any means. But a famous man had his child kidnapped, and so they made it a federal crime. You spent a day talking about that, and so you didn't talk about the Tulsa race riots. 
you know. You know what I mean? Anyway, I'm sorry. Mm, uh, you are, listen, listen, Reverend Reverend Washington, preacher. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, the show's about so if he, who was he's a very famous man, if he parlayed that fame into running for president and actually won, and mm-hmm. he was a Nazi sympathizer, so it basically, um. The the country doesn't so much go to hell and so much it like starts to become mad discriminatory toward everybody, specifically Jews. They they highlight this Jewish family who is um who feels the persecution more than well highlighted their persecution specifically. Um I guess like how'd you feel about the show? I I liked it a lot. I felt yeah. like like you like you said it was very prescient about what could happen if we're not careful. Um Right. No, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was amazing. Um the the actor the the actor who plays uh Bess Zoe, I don't remember where her last name is, but I'd never heard of her before this show. And yeah, yeah, I was she thinking that. Was, oh my god, she was amazing. I mean, I was, I mean, I was, I don't know if my roommates heard me, but I was like at multiple times clapping, screaming out loud. Like, I best was amazing just to watch her. Zoe Kazan. Zoe, Zoe Kazan, yeah. just to watch her go from the first episode as this, and she physically is meek. She is a thin, small woman, mm-hmm. and she and they emphasize that in the show in terms of how they dress her and how soft spoken her character is. And you just see her over time, you know how she how 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 the how the how the how the pressure of everything that's happening sort of affects her, and how strong of a person she is, and she and how yeah how powerful she is even though she's so you know physically meek and soft-spoken like she slaps her son at one point like there's mm-hmm. a it's a whole thing and like where her when her when her the are the scene where she's arguing with her sister like it was a lot i think this one scene that stands out to me aside from everything you know aside from the scenes where best is turning up on people because i love those <laughs> uh there was there's a point in the show where um there's a point in the show where they have a program where they send uh young jewish children to uh the middle of the country um and they it's spearheaded by uh a a rabbi who is a part of the not the the cabinet of charles Lindbergh, reminding that this is a a nazi essentially uh administration in the united states in this story and um you know the, the the purpose of the program is supposed to be to expose them to to the Midwest and like the quote unquote real America, right? American, father, real American values, is how exactly. And the father Herman, he says, and this is not an exact quote, but I'm gonna get it about as close as I can. So how how do you feel about Herman too? We'll talk about that. I we'll talk I'm, about I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna get yeah. to Herman, but Herman said when they start sending Negro kids to live with white families in Kentucky, that's when I'll send my son. That, and that, I was that, like, that was a good that point. Layered. That was a good point. Now that was a good point. One of the few good points he made in the show, but that was a great point. Herman, Herman, Herman to me is a tragic hero. He has so much, he's so hopeful in, in the, in the, in the future of the United States and in the nature of the United States. Uh, you know, he's hopeful to a fault and, 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 and to the point where it really threatens the life of his family. He doesn't listen to best uh, when she tells him to leave. And on top of that, he's frankly arrogant. He's arrogantly hopeful. You know what I mean? Like he's never backing down from a fight. He's never disagreeing. I empathize with Herman in the in in terms of his conviction. Yeah. I did not share his hope in sort of American society. Um, and yeah, but I, I think he's a compelling character. Shout out to the actor. I mean, this is frankly just an amazing show. HBO 
did a, whoever produced this it's great i haven't started watching and this is a random thing but hbo made me think about this i have not started watching insecure yet because i'm not allowed to go outside and i refuse <laughs> to watch tv with people enjoying themselves and living their life and having romantic relationships and meeting people outside if i can't go outside so i haven't watched insecure but i will watch this depressing alternative history and it is great if you are on the same page if you're in the same boat as us please watch that show it is great this has been the best season of Insecure, by the way. But um, I'm sure it has. I'm not watching it until Governor Cuomo says we can go outside. When Cuomo says, you know what, we can go outside, then I'm going to watch Insecure. Honestly, I'm going to probably be out here mingling before that. But <laughs> still, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to see people living their life. I can't live my life. No, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Issa coming up and having great times. I don't want to see Lawrence building his new relationships and having all these problems. I don't want to see my, I don't want to see any of that shit if I can't partake myself. I'm sorry. Hey, I can't, I can't spoil none of it for you. So that's the fuck. But no, I, so I, I agree. So to the point you made about um, Bess, I, so the last episode where she, so I didn't even realize that was Renona Ryder until like episode like maybe four. Or five. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated the fact that like, it was almost meta how, when on like the like the older sister, the experienced actor, like fucked up and needed the meek act, the meek sort of unknown person to help her out, and Bess was like, "Actually, get the fuck out of my house." <laughs> like that scene was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think we're afraid too? Don't you think we're in danger? She's like, you sell. Oh my! And that was the first time we saw her curse too. Her yeah. youth. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, um, I love the show. Obviously, no, it was a great show. Uh, and then. I was trying to be pro Herman. I felt like so I, Herman lost me. Spoiler alert! So Herman lost me when they went on a trip to DC, mm-hmm. and sometimes you just got to know how to read the room, you know. And I'm not saying, mm-hmm. like you said, like I empathize with the conviction, I empathize with wanting to yell from the rooftops that like none of this is fair and everything's corrupt, and why aren't you all mm-hmm. on my side? But the point at which you look around and you, nobody, literally nobody's on your side. It's like the, it was almost like he couldn't. To the arrogance point, it was almost like he didn't have the self awareness to recognize how to be quiet. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying. And, and again, like I almost feel bad for judging him for having convictions, but I do remember there was a moment where it was like, "Dude, your wife is literally begging you to like exactly. think about somebody other than yourself, and you are saying right. no." And it's like, dude, you got a family to think about, bro. Like, think like the point at which you have other things to think about, you cannot be this renegade for justice. You know what I'm saying? You you for you you gave that up when you decided that you wanted to have a wife and some kids. Right. Right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think that's I think I think that's I think that's absolutely right. I think that's I think what you're saying is spot on. And I, I love I love Bess reminding him of that. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I just shout out Zoe Kazan, man. If if I ever if I ever met Zoe Kazan in real life, I would be like She oh seemed like God. your type, low key. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But I mean I definitely I will say there's definitely an attraction there just based on like me observing her talent. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like because I mean I mean, you know, I'm just like you are an amazing actor. Like I would just I would that would be the first 30 minutes of the conversation. The first five minutes of the conversation would be me, me trying to pretend like everything's cool. And then the 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 second half of that conversation would be like oh my god you were so good in that show you are amazing why are you this good at acting um and what i will say too about like we'll, we'll talk about miss america too but so mm-hmm. the product so because it was alternate history i started going down these rabbit holes and i feel like i knew henry ford was a nazi but i didn't like really mm-hmm. know henry ford was a nazi mm-hmm. so like now i'm like reading like 
that the fact that he basically the Dearborn newspaper was like a Nazi newspaper. I I, I had I had no clue about any of this until I watched the show. Um, yeah. So yeah, just to think that like I I don't I don't know it's it almost makes me want to write alternate history. I don't know why I write it on, but it's 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 funny to like jump down those those rabbit holes to think about how history could be different if mm-hmm. so if so and so happened. I think they they help us understand the present. You know, mm-hmm. I remember in in college when I first started reading about like uh, slavery in a, from 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 non like school textbooks. Like when I first started reading, like you know, black scholars write about uh, slavery. You know, one perspective that really stuck with me was uh, one, and I don't remember the the author's name. I really wish I remembered her name. Goodness gracious. But she was saying that, you know, slavery as an institution, as a practice, as an experience was so grotesque, was so unimaginable that the only way to truly understand it is through fiction. And so I say that to say, I think alternate histories are interesting because they help us understand what did happen, Mm -hmm. you know, and what is happening. So to your point about it being very prescient, I mean, I think that, you know, if you feel like writing alternate history, bro, you should definitely go ahead and write it. Like, I feel like it could be it could help us understand the past, the present, and even the future, you know? Yeah. I just got to figure out a topic, but it did intrigue me because I was like, hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing is that, I mean, in 1930, whatever, 39, Charles Lindbergh running for president is definitely, so it almost, I mean, to to bring it to present day, like a celebrity ran for president and kind of went on the premise that he was the most famous person in the country. That's what happened in 2016. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then to the the final scene, we not knowing if, um, so FDR, and so the final scene, spoiler alert again, FDR ends up running in 44 because Lindbergh dies or disappears again, mm-hmm. and like, actually. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if Lindbergh actually wins, I mean, if uh, FDR wins the presidency in 44, mm-hmm. which he ends up dying like two months later anyway, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so Mrs. America, which also, a historical text, not a, not an alternate history, but they based on a true story. So they they play with the facts a little bit. But what 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 you take away from? Well, I, sh- I should also give a synopsis of that show. So Phyllis Shoffley, who is quite honestly one of the worst people I've ever encountered <laughs> on a television screen. Kate Blanchett played the fuck out of her, bro. Hmm. She made me hate her for real. I hated that she, woman. She, yeah, she 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 is. I haven't finished it yet, but she is doing a great job. I would say that. I hated that woman. Yeah. Um but she, so the show basically starts out with her trying to figure out how to, um, I, I guess like on, on a very micro level, how to run for office again, run for um, well, the House of Representatives again and win this time. She lost the first time. Run for House of Representatives. But on a macro level, it's kind of how to like get herself on equal footing with men. So she takes the Equal Rights Amendment, which was supposed to like, I guess it's on a broad scale, make everything equal. She takes that amendment and uses it as her as her um, bully pulpit to basically like say that women were being discriminated against by the amendment. Um, mm-hmm. am, am I right? Is that basically it? Yeah. Is that basically yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So I found. I mean, the irony is that like Phyllis Shafley is a is a professional lobbyist who traveled across the country, mm-hmm. telling women to stay in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm still trying to like really reckon with how I feel about her ambition because while I like empathize with the ambition specifically, I hated the fact that she was using her. It, it's hopeless. I I I don't really know how to, how to articulate why what pissed me off more so more most about it, but it was the idea that like 
she was never at home telling women to stay at mm-hmm. home. Like, how right. dare she? Right, right. Really had a had a black woman who was raising her Who was running her house. And they never really right. interrogate that relationship, and I wish they had. Because, mm-hmm. like, th- there was definitely a little bit of, like, frostiness between them. And it was mm-hmm. obviously rooted in the fact that that black woman didn't want to work for her, but she needed to because she needed a job. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 No, I, I, I like that. I like that show. I haven't... Um, I haven't. When was the last time I watched it? I there is a point where I I I, I took a step back from like all things real. I've ran out of <laughs> sci-fi shows to watch, so that's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I I think I think what you're I think what you're getting at is sort of for me one of the central ironies of it. Like she has a degree, well, multiple degrees, mm-hmm. and is about to get another degree mm-hmm. or trying to get a law degree. She has a a, a wealthy husband who supports her in terms of her being able to go all over the place, all over the country, like you're saying. And so it's interesting. I was really struck by Shirley Chisholm um, mm. and um, the depiction of her. Uh, they, from what I, I never, I've never heard Shirley Chisholm speak and made me want to go listen. But from what I understand, she had like a an accent, Caribbean accent, because she's from the Caribbean mm-hmm. originally, like it was where she was educated. And that didn't come through in the in the in the in the show, which is not a big deal. But I was like, okay. But um, but her character as a bit of a foil to some of the other uh women in the show uh, who were who were part of the women's liberation movement was interesting. And it was interesting and sad, frankly, to see her like not get support from the Congressional Black Caucus. Mm-hmm. You know, it really felt like nobody was with her because the 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 black folks in Congress weren't really with her. You know, they went and supported Goldwater. Uh, Gloria Steinem and all of them were like with her, but they weren't really with her. They were just Gloria right was wishy washy. Gloria wanted, Gloria was trying to play both sides. Gloria was trying to play both sides. Also, shout out to whoever plays Lawrence in Insecure because he's in this too. Yeah, shout out to Jay Ellis here. Yeah, Jay Ellis. I had to, I didn't realize that I had some, I'm, a, I'm not going to speak on Gloria Steinem's relationship with that man, which is real. Um, by the way, uh, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak on that. I have some thoughts on that, but I I don't want them on in public. <laughs> but I'm I, I just I just have some. I would love to be a fly on the wall of like a therapy session to get a better understanding. Like I would love to read a psychoanalysis of of Gloria Steinem and her relationship to the person to the man that J. Ellis plays mm-hmm. and how that evolved and how their relationship evolved and changed over time. Cause he had a kid. You think he was previously married? I don't know if he was. I think he was previously married at the point where the show takes place. Yeah, he he apparently he ran the Ford Foundation back then. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's just interesting. Honestly, I kind of watched it and watched all of these interactions and kind of thought, particularly the scenes in New York, and was like, wow, this is New York in uh, what is this? The seventies? Yeah, the early seventies. Yeah, the early seventies, late sixties, and you know, just to think about all the energy around political change and upheaval. And the spaces that were created, like there's some scenes where they're in uh, what appears to be a, a club for queer women. You know what I mean? Uh, you got Gloria Steinem. This is the 1960s, late 60s. Gloria Steinem's, you know, seeing this Jay Ellis character guy. She's also seeing the, the guy from the Republican congressman. But I don't think yeah. she was seeing him, though. I think that was, she said that was a one time thing. She said that. So she was just kind of I haven't finished this. I haven't finished the season. 
she said it was a one-time thing. Oh my bad, yeah. When I did, did did it end in the sea? You can spoil it. It doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, he he, ne- he never reappears. So. He never reappears. I I don't know. I felt like I read somewhere that like that continued oh. or something. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know though. I don't know that to be fact. That's I just thought I read it somewhere. But it's just interesting to think about sort of the spaces that are created and like the way people sort of were living their lives. This energy around doing sort of not only sort of walking, not only just like talking to talk, like, but also walking the walk and having the space to do that with people. You have a scene where all of these black women are meeting and talking about women's liberation for black women. And then you see the divide between, you know, the heteronormative black women and the queer black women. And just seeing that, and they didn't, I don't think they, just seeing that displayed on television, I'd never seen. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to see a show, honestly, about, a call Miss America about the women's liberation movement that really kind of just focused on the black women. That would be nice. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to see it. It's just interesting to see, you know, awesome history. You know, I'm like, again, history nerd here. Like I liked watching it. Right. Yeah. Same. I, I, I was going to answer the history of it. The, the church isn't part. The church, I mean, yeah, her episode was, so I feel like, I don't know if I might need to go just to check, but I feel like every episode was kind of a like yearly vignette. Yep. So, so they would they would they would jump from like from every few years or so. So, mm-hmm. um, her episode was disheartening, like you said, because it seemed like everybody just presumed she was gonna lose. This, right. when, exactly. the, the the thing about winning is like you kind of gotta win to win. I mean, obviously, but if everybody thinks you're gonna lose, then you're gonna lose. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, right. if nobody's gonna support you from jump, you got somebody to believe in you, have faith. Right. You got somebody gonna right. jump out on the left for you. Um. The paranoia about herself about being bugged, I didn't quite get. Although, like, I mean, it was justified, but I don't think she, I don't know if she ever found anything. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they would, they would do stuff in these episodes to, like, I don't know, like, they could have saved those 30 seconds here and there. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But, got you, got you. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think the show was pretty well done. Yeah, they probably was bugging her stuff though, because you know she was openly supporting the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. They'll bug Martin Luther King, you know they'll bug the Panthers. Also, random note: we all love, well, no, we we don't all love, but people love JFK. People love Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, okay. And I hate that I'm not trying to be on some Umar Johnson type stuff because I'm not. I'm not on that. This is literally just facts. This is not conspiracy. This is not some strange psychological thing you can literally look it up on wikipedia bobby kennedy was the man who was signing all of those uh surveillance warrants uh from hoover's fbi bobby kennedy was the head of the doj when hoover was running cointel pro which was uh you know spying on mlk spying on Mount martin uh, malcolm x spying on you know what i mean like uh, that was that was bobby kennedy and who was president then jfk i'm just saying all that to say you know, these rivers run deep, you know, people that we think are white saviors aren't always, you know, um, as nice as we would think them to be, you know, not to say that Bobby Kennedy was like a horrible person is not, I'm just saying, you know, he has a complicated track record on race. Uh, that's mm-hmm. random. I just been watching the documentary. We talking about history. We talking about the surveillance of black political leaders. And so that's why it came to mind. Anyway. No, I mean, yeah. I, I'm thinking back in my, I, I, I feel like I stared in the space for a second because I was like, dang, I'm doing the um the roadmap in my head. I'm like, then it does go to JFK. But I mean, it's like having- yeah, it's, it's, got MLK out of jail. But, but, but I'm saying though, it's like playing both, not playing both sides against the middle, but it's like, hey, 
Um, I'm help you out, but I'm also gonna have this blackmail on you in case of emergency. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, you know, I can't. I don't know that the U.S. government was involved. I mean, you know. Yes, you do. There are scholars. There's research. <laughs> there's research. There's like research that, like that suggests that you know the the U.S. government was involved in the murder of Martin Luther King and the murder of Malcolm X. So, um, I don't know who was running DOJ then. Well, King was King. Martin King, Martin King was killed in 1968. Yeah, 68. JFK was killed the same year. Well, Bobby was killed the same year. JFK was killed 60. Oh, okay. I think JFK was killed 64. 64, okay. Malcolm was killed 65. Malcolm was killed 65? Yeah. Really? I don't know why I thought... I don't know why I thought... Wow, they killed Malcolm first? Yeah. Oh, you thought they killed Malcolm second? I thought they did. No, nah, they got Malcolm out the game quick. February 21st, 1965. 1965. Wow. Yeah. I will say this. I was thinking about it. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, they killed Martin Luther King when he was transitioning to talking about broader systems uh, other than just desegregation. You started talking about poverty. He came out mm-hmm. and, uh, like he got to go. Malcolm X started talking about uniting black people across the sea. They was like, hold on. Malcolm talking about you talking about uniting Africans with African American. Oh, you got to go. It was cool when you was just in Harlem, but you getting too deep. Right, you get too global. You gotta get up out of here. Mm-mm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, bro, is systemic, man. Mm. It's systemic, man. That's why we we gotta tread lightly, bro. I be, I be scared sometimes. I'm like, I be on Twitter just like just talking, and I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm kind of under the radar, bro, because I don't know if, if these is too deep. If I'm like, if I'm, I don't know, but look. I will tell you this, if you, and I hope everyone listening thinks about this deeply, if you, and and it may be a little different now, but particularly the earlier days of the protest, I'm sure they're still doing this though. Like they are tracking everybody that's there. Mm-hmm. They're tracking you by your phone. You know what I mean? Like they are that, and we know this because that's one of the ways that they, that the that local police departments have been able to identify different extremist groups uh, that have been participating in some of these protests and shut down what they would describe as supply lines uh for like bricks and accelerants and the like so they're monitoring cell cellular communications they're monitoring um sort of like where you are from like location a location standpoint like location data on your phone after i went to a protest i started seeing ads on my ig more ads than i'd ever seen i've never seen these types of ads on my ig because my ig has not really been political Mm -hmm. i started seeing all these ads for all these like democratic uh congress people who were like running for Congress. I just got ads for uh, AOC to donate to her campaign. I mean, and so if Instagram knows you there, best believe the local police and or, especially being in DC, bro, you know the feds know that you're there. Not to say that they watching you and they listening to you, Man, but I had that. some thoughts about our president and about history. We were talking about JFK, we were talking about Bobby Kennedy, we were talking about the 60s and how violent the 60s were. And I was like, let me actually like, watch what I say because you never know who's listening. People could be listening right now. I mean, you know, man, what's, like, the, uh, what's that shit called? What is that shit called? The Patriot Act. You know what I mean? I I, I joke, me and Deb have a running joke that the RFBI agents are always listening to us, bro. Hey. I I firmly believe. That's that's kind of why like I care and I don't care. It's like, man, if I got to run an FBI agent anyway, no, well, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Not be myself? Like, yeah. Look, 
look, FBI, I am not a threat. I am not a a, 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 a radical left wing extremist or nothing like that. I work at. A but that's kind of the point, though. Is I feel like if I am being monitored, they know that. They all I do is lay around and play two K, bro. Like really, I'm a threat. Like honestly, come on, man. Like the thing, the thing that scares me about surveillance is less of like whether or not I'm a threat and more like whether they just decide I'm a threat. Cause like you not a threat. I know you're but, not a but, threat. But that's the thing, but but they gonna decide that arbitrarily regardless, bro. That's kind of the point is that's that's American history. They just arbitrarily decide black people are bad and then right. they kill us. That's what right. they do. Right. That's why the surveillance scares me though, because the surveillance is what allows them to make that decision. If you don't know that I exist or if you don't know sort of who I am, where I am, what I'm saying, then it's oh, they're, they're gonna know that anyways. Come on, yeah, man. I mean, they'll know where I am, but like to monitor my communications, like, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe I don't know, I don't know. They they out here though. I know if you had a protest, they know that you were there. I can tell you that. Listen, I don't know if like my FBI agent is like listening to me right now. I'm sure like he got his headphones around his neck or something. Like, chilling. if you're right, like if if you hear a buzzword or something, he'll put him back on. But like he chilling, you know. what I'm saying? He, you know, he probably rolling up. It's, right. he, he, he knows it's my birthday tomorrow. He about to celebrate with me. You know, right, like, right, he, right. he got to right. turn up. Uh, but for sure, that's all I got. Uh, okay. You got final thoughts, final last things you want to share? I will say one thing, and I'm about to go back to this song because I did have it playing earlier. But you know, I'm late to a lot of things. I like music drop too much. Music drops too soon for me. It takes me time to really sit and digest things. I was listening to Dark Lane demo tape. You know I can't be on the podcast without saying something left about Drake. First left thing, this man, <laughs> this man does all like this, this, this black Jewish man, okay, who whose entire career is based on his experience with a wide array of black cultures, has said one thing that I've seen. Maybe he said more. One thing that I've seen on his IG amidst all of this, and it was the black square with three words side by side. I don't buy it. I don't want it. I don't like it. What's wrong with you? That's not a great argument, but that upset me. The second no, that's, thing. That's not, a, that's not a not great argument either. Come on, man. Be better. Anyway, the, the, the second thing, I was listening to his song with Future Desires, and it really made me ratchet up my thinking of, in 20 years, are we going to be watching and surviving Aubrey Graham? Because this man's lyrics are so damn violent. Like, it, it, like they are just, they're so controlling. They're very R. Kelly-esque. In, 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 in Desires, this man says, I should have put you somewhere where Noah could find you. You know what I mean? Dal- Katy, Texas, Dallas, up in a mansion with nothing around you. Katy, Texas, Dallas, Texas, you know, a different environment because you got desires. What? Because she got desires? You want to put her somewhere where no one could find her? Bruh, look, when R. Kelly was making music, nobody was like, oh, I mean, maybe people were like, oh, this is a little strange. People were still rocking to it. I'm not going to say it don't rock. You know what I mean? Because it does. But this is just one of many things (laughs) that this man has said or done that I feel like are demonstrate or are evidence of his predatory behavior uh, and controlling nature, uh, and it's messed up. Third Drake thing I'll say, and this is it, and this is not something left. That song "Time Flies" is a bop. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that no, thing, bro. I appreciate that you keep it. You keep it funky on Aubrey, bro. Like you. Hey, he's he's a, he is. I told I told one of my homeboys today. He is the common cold of rap. He has infectious hooks. He is irresistible. 
but he is a horrible person. I haven't listened I mean, to I'm, I'm I'm ambivalent on him as a person. I don't I don't know enough. I don't know him as a person, but he seemed like a horrible. Person. That's a, that's the thing is like I I, I hear what you're saying. The lyrics are sketchy. I think you might be going a little too deep for the intro. Could be, but you could be right. And if, if and if you right in, in twenty years, you watching Surviving Off the Ground, be like, damn, you was right. So uh, don't we have evidence of him texting like seventeen year olds and sixteen year olds? Wasn't jaded about allegedly about Georgia Smith? Isn't he like we know that he targets young women? He how, just how old is Georgia? Georgia recently, recently turned like 20-something, bro. Georgia is not old. And look, she is an attractive woman. She's she's a grown woman, but she has not she she has not been over the age of 18 very long. I can tell you that much. Okay, she look uh, it up. Oh, her, she? oh she turned 23 tomorrow. She uh we got the same birthday. Hey, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um look, Drake was in the picture before that, though. No, he was. You're right. Um I'm just, I'm just, yeah. you know, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I can't get off the podcast without saying something about Aubrey. You know what I mean? I no, like the music. I've, I've been listened to, I haven't listened to the tape. I felt, I, I didn't care. I listened to Pain 1993, whatever that song is called. That song was okay. The, the slow version that, yeah, that's on whack. The slow version of that song, <laughs> okay, does a slow version. I would say listen to Demons with Fabio Foreign. It could be because I'm in New York and because I be hearing all the Brooklyn drill, but like Fabio Foreign, deep, that's on Demons. That, that's, that's on Go. But it's another example of him just like dabbling in everything. But anyway, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. But yeah, yeah. that's my closing thought. You know, everybody be safe and everything. But yeah, be yeah. careful with Aubrey Graham. Great music. Yeah, we, we we can come back and do music eventually. I, I I really don't have no music thoughts right now. I feel like I've been kind of hunkered down in podcasts and mm. the shit I've been listening to. I want to do like a verse. I don't know if you've been watching the verses. Um, uh, I haven't been able to get into the whole like. We and maybe it's because I'm not on Twitter, but I haven't been able to get into the whole like watching stuff on IG Live thing. Like I don't even watch DJs that I like on IG Live. I'm just like it's it doesn't do anything for me. Um, I'm glad they're happening. I like the concept of people going song for song. I mm. so I mean I think and honestly like I I probably wouldn't like them had they always been this peaceful. But mm. at, the first one was Dream and Sean Garrett. And it was legitimate animosity in that battle, bro. And that's I thought they was all gonna be like that when they was gonna be like, I wanna win. And now right. they now they like, oh, we just gonna celebrate each other. No, no, what? Okay, y'all like each other. I don't care. Like, right, I don't right, care. Right. Battle to the death. Right. So like um Nelly and Luda's was cool, but I felt like they dropped the ball because they went on these little tannins where like uh Luda was like, I'm going I'm to drop this major look freestyle I got. And then Nelly was like, oh, I got my East Coast shit too. And I thought he was going to play his Rock the Mic remix, but he played this obscure song he had with Freeway. I was like, bro, play no. the hits. Like, play what? The hit. Why am saying? What you niggas think we here for? Like, Ooh, we're not here for that. <laughs> we're here for the hits. I, I used to enjoy, and I've been, and this is the operative, the operative term being used to because this is pre-COVID days, and it's crazy to think that that's how we have to talk about things now. But before the pandemic, I used to enjoy going to versus parties, you know, where people would be like, oh, it's Timbaland versus Pharrell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those type of joints used to be lit, but RIP, large public gatherings because of coronavirus. For the time being, anyways. We're going mm-hmm. to get back to it, hopefully, prayerfully. Um, but yeah, bro, that's all I got. I need to watch Do the Right Thing, man. I might do that tonight. Good movie. It's a good movie. I haven't seen it start to finish. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, it's a classic. You know, it's an American classic. You know, right. not some like, you know, casual. Uh, I feel I've seen every other Spike movie, so I'm gonna watch that one too. All right, dog. Uh, I also need to eat, so. Mm. But.
Well, it's been it's been real. Gonna go ahead and and, and sign off. Shout out everybody that. Uh, oh yeah, plug uh, plug plug the socials. You still want you still want people to uh, follow you on? I know you ain't on Twitter like you used to. Yeah, be. you know I, I don't. I'm not on Twitter. You know I'm not on the socials. You feel me? I'm you know I'm on probation. No, I'm playing. I'm not on probation, but I'm not on the social. I mean, people who know me know my socials. You know what I'm saying? If you know me, keep, keep following me. And if you don't want to follow me, that's cool too. Because there's some people that I'm friends with that I don't follow, so it's chill. That's I don't fair. know. I know socials. Uh, what could I plug though? I'm trying to think what to plug. Uh, I don't know. Everybody plug yourself, man. Like Nipsey said, you know, hustle and motivate. You know, build yourself, whatever that means. It don't have to be a business. It could be your physical health, your financial health, your mental health. Amen. It takes time. Write Amen. it down. Make a plan for yourself. It's like your fourth sermon of the podcast, bro. You going? I guess so. I don't you know. I'm, I've been I've been on ten. I got a lot going on. So I'm about to take a lap, bro. <laughs> Hit the organ one time. But all right, bro. Uh, I'm going to let you have the rest of your night. All righty. All right. Thank you one more time to Melvin for coming on today's episode. Be sure to check out everything we got going on one more time at westwithsim.com. Essays, photography, consulting, so much more. Uh, be back tomorrow with another new episode with Miss Dominique Crump. Please check out sasrjp.com before tomorrow's episode if you want to learn more about the Sexual Assault Survivors Restorative Justice Project. Um, yeah, and as we head out, uh, so I wanted to get this episode out earlier on Wednesday, actually. I'm recording this Wednesday evening, afternoon heading into evening. Um, intended to get it out this afternoon and found out this morning that a close friend, Arika Trim, passed away. It appears from complications, uh, from her childbirth. Um, I met Arika through mail, actually. They are both, uh, appointees from the Obama administration. And, um, Arika's such a beautiful soul such a beautiful person so glad I got to know her in um the past few years and it's just been a very it's been a very weird time guys I know that like I know I do this in order to 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 get away from the troubles of the world I tend not to try to talk about politics because that's the thing that animates me more than anything else I, I went to school for it so I have a passion for it obviously but it's not fun to talk about and with the state of the world and even science becoming political now it's just like it's, it's this is a lot of shit so um i just wanted to spend this last few seconds to say rest in power to Erika. um i will miss you dearly my friend um and please believe that your son will be well taken care of so um please rest peacefully and i will see you soon and um when it end there I will talk to you all tomorrow gotta eat stay off the place every time I leave I tell my niggas be safe you gon' need a little more than that Gucci round your waist every time I leave I tell my niggas be safe I lose my mind if this the last time I saw your face every time I leave I tell my niggas be safe this world don't love a soul my nigga keep faith I my nigga be safe Peace, my God.